0: When uh, I heard I was preaching on Daniel 3, the first thing that came to my mind was Veggie Tales, obviously, and the bunny song, but I remember it being much differently. I'm kind of reading the lyrics now, and I don't need a tissue when my nose is runny. I just need a plate and the fork and a bunny kind of strange. So, you know, hope you enjoyed that fun video. Thank you, kids, for sticking, it, sticking around to watch that. So my name is Johnny Graves. I'm the Director of Youth and Young Adults here. It's a privilege to be up here. I'm not usually up here preaching sermons on Sundays, but a couple times a year the church gets bold and confident enough that I will come up here and not embarrass myself or you guys. So uh, just stick with me today and I'll try to think of something to say to keep your attention. So last week we were in chapter 2 of Daniel we've been doing a Daniel summer series and chapter 2 we saw Daniel reveal to King Nebuchadnezzar the meaning of his dream. King Nebuchadnezzar paid homage to Daniel and his God. Thus Daniel requested that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon while Daniel remained in the king's court. So here we are we are in Daniel 3 some time has passed since then. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three of Daniel's friends, were put in a situation where they were challenged to forego their faith and do what the king asked of them and to bow down to something other than their God. And the result of not obeying this command, as we will see, is death. So a movie comes to my mind when I think of the situation that they were put in, and this movie was called Courageous from a few years ago. This film is about uh, some police officers, their families, their faith, and their challenge during the film as they are called on to take on fatherhood. During the film, we meet a man named Javier Martinez. Javier has a family, two kids, a wife, and... He struggles to get by each month financially. Every single month, they wonder, how are we going to pay the bills? How are we going to get food on the table? How are we going to get clothes for our kids? How many of you have experienced this heartache, restless nights, not being able to sleep, of will the bills get paid tomorrow? So this is the position that Javier is in. So he has a current job that is okay, but like I said, they're barely scraping by each month. And one day at work, the boss invites him into his office. The boss says, sit down, Javier. He says, I have a position opening, an inventory manager position, and I would like to possibly offer that to you. Javier is thrilled. He said, this is answered prayers. God is hearing me out, and I'm going to get this job and pay the bills that need to be paid. But the boss says, under a condition. Next week, I want you to work a shift, and you will get 17 crates in. But I want you to mark down that you only received 16 crates. Javier's face changed and was concerned, and the boss said, I I need to know that you're on my team, because you are on my team, right? I I can't have employees here who are not on my team. Javier just looks very concerned, and the boss says, you know what? Take the night to think about it. Tell me in the morning. But Javier, I really need to know if you want this job. Do you feel for Javier right now, in this moment? Have you been in this situation we're following God may put you at a disadvantage by world standards, and maybe even the only way to earn money is dishonest work. Maybe as parents, you're asked to forego your faith, to allow your kids to do things you know isn't right, just so they can fit in and have friends. Or maybe at school, we've been asked to do something we know isn't that great for us, but we might ruin our reputation, or we might lose some friends if we, if we don't do it. Maybe it's not a chocolate bunny that we're being asked to bow down to today. I know that seems a little silly, the video's silly, but that's the whole point. Anything compared to God that we're bowing down to looks like a chocolate bunny. And there's something we're being asked to do every single day to bow down to a bunny. And these situations will arise day after day when Babylon is home. And I'm sure we've all been in the situation where our faith is tested and the perceived results is that if we honor God right now, We will lose our job, we'll lose our friends, maybe we'll even lose our life. And that is where we come to today in Daniel 3. We see three men in front of a king, their life is on the line. What will you do when your faith is tested through fire? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a chance to open up your word and to see that you are a God who is in control. You are a God who never fails. You are a God who never leaves us. And may that truth come alive to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so you guys can open up to Daniel 3. Daniel 3, we're going to go through this whole chapter today. I'm going to summarize some verses. I'm going to read some verses on the screen. So we got to do this quickly. I know the World Cup final is on at 11. I'm trying to get out of here uh, and watch that. So let's do this quickly, right? All right, so Daniel 3, verse 1 says this. When King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits, he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So here we are with King Nebuchadnezzar building a massive statue. This thing is 90 feet high, about nine basketball hoops tall. And some commentators suggest that this is the statue referring to the one that the king had he dream about previously. So what he does in the following verses, two and three, is he invites Everyone to this massive party. And you guys can see it yourself. Prefects, governors, counselors, and he just goes on and on. And then he repeats it again, saying all these people came back. And I think it's repetition for a purpose of saying literally like everyone is invited. I think this is like a Jay Gatsby illustrious party where if you're anybody, you're at this party. So follow with me in verse four. And the herald proclaimed, you are commanded, O peoples, nations and languages that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lar, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music that you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship immediately shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. So at this party, the command is that everyone is to bow down to this created image when they hear the music. Not does not seem like a party I'd like to go to. But if they don't do this, they die. They are to worship this idol, to be in reverence, to be in awe, to adore what they are bowing down to. And so often we read the story and we're disgusted with King Nebuchadnezzar. Why would a king create such a large statue, an idol that's so arrogant and prideful? But what he wanted to do was make a name for himself. He wanted to create a legacy, something to be remembered by, and he wanted everyone there to see it. Isn't this what every politician wants? They want some big thing to be remembered by, and that is exactly what he is doing here. Yet an ironic part of the story is when we read the story, we watch Veggie Tales, we often place ourselves in the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, saying, that is us, I'm being tested every single day. Although that may be true, and I'm sure we've all been in that situation, what we fail to do is recognize ourselves as King Nebuchadnezzar. And oftentimes we are the king. More often than not, we're creating idols, and our hearts are always worshiping something day after day, other than God. And like the king, we scream for attention. We want people to recognize us and praise us for our great deeds, to praise us for our life achievements and awards. And like the king, sometimes we bow down to people's approval of us, people's attention of us, and that is what the king is doing here. He wants everyone to come, bow down to a statue, and he just wants that approval. He's got to bow down to it. Is this not what a majority of social media is for? Look at me in my lazing life. <clears throat> Please like my photo, like my recent. You know, we crave for appreciation and admiration daily. When we see the notifications of how many people liked their posts, how many people are texting us, we smile. We enjoy it. He's inviting everyone to come admire his statue, to worship and love it. He wants to be known and admired for all that he is. Isn't that something we all desire as well? from our boss, from our kids, our friends. And that is where we are in Daniel 3. As I said previously in chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar was just saying how great Daniel's God was, and he was the Lord of kings and God of gods, and now he's ordering, you cannot worship any other god than this in his statue. And that is exactly what the beginning of chapter 3 is doing. It's setting up something very important, that is the context, to what and where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are living in. They're living under a ruthless king. They're living in an area where, by law, they are required to bow down and worship idols. An area where there is a ruthless king ordering people to worship him, where following God results in punishment. And often in our lives, when we live in these circumstances, we run. Do you run away when you are living in Babylon? And in your bulletin, you have a question there. It says, where is your Babylon? So you all need to think and take a look at your life right now. Where is your Babylon? Is it work? Is it school? Is it the community? Is it home or your family? Cover cover that when you're writing, if it's your family. So where is your Babylon? Where are you being tested daily, where you feel like your faith is getting tested? You feel like you're in a hostile environment. I remember when I was in high school, that was kind of like my Babylon, the the gossip, the rumors, the bullying, the the pressure. It was my Babylon, and oftentimes I didn't want to be there. And I would say, God, why am I here? Why am I at the school? And I'm sure we've all said that in your life, wherever your Babylon is. And we often believe that we need to leave Babylon. We pray that God gets us out of that environment. We can't take it. Sometimes I think we believe that I must have sinned or I'm being judged, so I have to be here. We see persecution as a negative action against us, sometimes even from God. But that is never the case. And Jesus warned us that in the world, the world will persecute us just for loving him, just for following him. We think that in order to survive and to be faithful to God, we need to run and go to a Christian bubble, that we'll be safe there. Yet we never see that in Scripture. We see the exact opposite happen, actually. We see people running to Babylon. Look at the book of Acts. Disciples are constantly running to places where Jesus is not believed. Jesus coming to earth? Who would want to leave heaven and come down to this earth? That was his Babylon. He came down to Babylon. And when someone tried to not go to Babylon, Jonah, who, has, who had to go to Nineveh, tried to run away, and God said, no, I need you there. I need you there. Because I think God wants us in Babylon sometimes because if we are not in Babylon, if we run, who will be left? Who at your school, your job, your family will tell them about the love and grace of Jesus if we decide to run? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not run. They did not flee. We see them front and center here because they stayed in Babylon. They followed God in Babylon, and that resulted in In what follows next. So, if you follow with me, we see some Chaldeans, some Babylonians. They are super jealous of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Super, super jealous. As we saw in chapter 2, they were appointed a high position over the province of Babylon. And they are outsiders, they look differently, they live differently. And these people, these Chaldeans, don't believe that they should have gotten that promotion. So they run to the king, and as you guys will see in the text, they're like, oh, king, live forever. You are so great. Love that new goatee you have. You are amazing, king. You are just so great. Just wanted to remind you that you appointed some, like, three men not so long ago, and they're not bowing down to that statue you made. And I just want to remind you that, that was you okayed that, your stamp of approval. And if they didn't do that, they are to kind of go be killed into a furnace. Just wanted to remind you, just FYI, that's happening right now, and yeah, you should do something about it. Is this not modern-day politics? The only way to advance is to take down the people in front of you. I mean, look at Twitter, look at you know, commercials online. It's constantly the people below attacking those ahead of them so they can get that position. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are brought before the furious king, and here's what the king says. Follow with me in verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, The king is giving him a chance in front of him to obey. He gives them a chance to recant their earlier disobedience, and the king offers them life if they bow down to his statue, to bow down to his idol, to bow down to his chocolate bunny. Once again, this is serious because the chocolate bunny is nothing compared to God. So, my second question I want you to write down is what is your bunny? Or who is your bunny? What are you being asked to bow down to? What idol are you being asked to bow down to in Babylon? Maybe at work, you're being asked to falsify information, like Javier. Or maybe you're seeking people's approval of your work. Maybe you're engaging in employee gossip. What is your bunny? Write that down. The king even questions them in saying, who could possibly spare you from my wrath, from my punishment? Who is this God in whom you place your trust and faith in? King Nebuchadnezzar believes he has the power over life and death. And how terribly wrong is his thinking? Reading this, I'm reminded of when Jesus was with Pilate before the crowd and they wanted to crucify him. And Pilate says this to Jesus in John chapter 19, verse 10. You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and authority to crucify you? I love what Jesus says. He says this you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Jesus is saying the only power you have is that which God has given you. And that is the case here in Daniel 3. The only power Nebuchadnezzar has is the power that God has given him. And how quickly do we forget that that is still true today with those in power? What Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I think are very well aware of is that only God, their God, has the power over life and death, not this king. So we look at the situation and think, there's no possible way something good can come from this. Where is God in the midst of this? He is here the entire time, working through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I know in our own lives we're probably asking the same question Where is God? Where is God? And I love what Tremper Longman III says He says, In spite of present appearances, God is in control. May we remind ourselves of that daily when we find ourselves in situations like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And their response is great. Read it with me in verse 17. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. But if not, this is one of the more overlooked verses, and I think sometimes we wish it actually wasn't even in the Bible. But this verse rings true today. They answered, saying, Hey, our God is fully capable of saving us from the furnace, He is fully able to do that. But just because God is able to do that doesn't necessarily mean He will. That even if God does not save us from the fire, King Nebuchadnezzar, we're not worshiping you. We're not going to bow down to your idol. Wow. But if not, if we die in the furnace, we're not changing our minds. They knew God could save them, but not necessarily that he would. And what is exemplified here is the faithfulness to God, regardless of their circumstances. Their trust in God is that he will literally be with them through the fire. And isn't that still true today? That Jesus, our Emmanuel, literally came to be with us, that he has given us his spirit. Let us remind ourselves that we can have faith like them because of the assurance of God's presence is still true today, that he will not abandon us regardless of the circumstances we may be in. Do I have the faith to pray, but if not? Years ago, I was taught that when I prayed, I was to pray, God, heal this person of the sickness. And that was that. If, and, but often I would hear people say, Lord, heal this person from this sickness, but if you don't, it's okay, that's your plan, amen. I always thought that if I said that, I had a lack of faith, <clears throat> that it was like a cop-out. Oh God, if you can't, it's okay, that I believe God really couldn't. But let me tell you, that is not true, and that's what we see here today, that that is not a lack of faith saying, but if not. That is actually a strength of faith in God and in his plan. And throughout the Bible, we see God delivering his people. But sometimes we actually don't through his greater wisdom. Jesus was crucified and died. Disciples were martyred. Israelites were enslaved for hundreds of years, and they were in the desert wandering for a very long time, and so much more. But if not, God was still God throughout all eternity. That is real faith. That is faith that says, even if we go into the furnace and die, King Nebuchadnezzar, I'm not bowing down to you. My God is still my God And when we live in this way, we're going to stand out sometimes. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we will not fit in in our current surroundings. We will not fit in wherever we are. And we will be in situations like this. And parents, may we raise our kids and our children to live in this way, to live as aliens in this world, to train them how to handle not fitting in. Because for our kids, when they follow Jesus, their lives will be so much different in the worlds. And may we prepare them for these moments. And I love uh, something that Jen Wilkins says. She's an author and speaker. She says, many parents will let their kids do this or that for their kids to fit in. But oftentimes, we actually see parents letting kids do this and that to avoid themselves. Parents as fitting, not fitting in. So parents, please do not forsake your children for the protection of your image. Always forsake your image for the protection of your children. Because a day will come for, these ch- for our children to decide who they're going to bow down to. And I pray that they are ready to make that decision. So what we learn here is that God is able to save us. He can deliver us if he chooses, but sometimes he may not. And that is what they believed here. And just like the apostle Stephen believed that God could deliver him at any moment, but he may not, he called this out when he was being stoned. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I have no doubt in my mind that Stephen believed he could survive being martyred. But I think what also Stephen believed was that Jesus may be calling me home. And what is said here by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we see a similar response saying, we may get through this fire, but we may not. But let's see what happens. So King Nebuchadnezzar is absolutely furious. He gave them an opportunity to obey him. He gave them a chance to like his photo, to appreciate him, to worship him, his idols, but they didn't bow down. He gets so upset, he turns the heat up seven times all the way. Forget the heating bill this month. I don't care. I want these guys to burn, all right? And while they are doing this, the king's men, the soldiers whom he ordered to put throw them in the fire, do you see what it says there? It says they died because it was so hot. I think this is such an interesting thing that the king who thinks he has control over life and death can't even control life over death over his own men. does not look like this king has as much power as he thought he did. Can't even take care of his own people. Now let's see what is happening amidst the furnace. The flames that are supposed to be killing these three men, let's see what's happening there. But let me remind you that fire does not only burn and destroy, but fire can also Refine. This is what it says in verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste, and he declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three bound men into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. And what we see here, someone joined them in the fire. Someone was amidst them in the furnace. And what would appear is probably the worst thing could, that could ever happen to someone is being tossed into a furnace alive. We see someone joining them in that tribulation, in that struggle, in the fire. Now, there is speculation as to who this is. This may be an angel. It might be the archangel Gabriel. It might be a Christophany, pre-incarnate Jesus. All speculation, but we know that either, whichever one of those is true, God was with them, that God sent Jesus, God sent the angel, that God was literally with them in the fire. And I love what Isaiah 43 says. It says this, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Now King Nebuchadnezzar went over to the furnace door and yelled for them to come out, and all the people gathered around to see what happened. So pick up in in verse 28 with me. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. The king goes on to proclaim that if anyone says anything bad against their god, they will be torn limb from limb. And again, the king promotes them to the province of Babylon. I would have loved to have seen the king's face when they came walking out untouched, unharmed, not burned, not smelling like a bonfire, but completely alive and well. The the king thought he could kill them, that he could make them suffer. But as we see, God is the only one who has power over life and death. And if God is in control, these men cannot be harmed if that is God's plan. So first, the king thinks that if these men put their trust in him, he can save their life. Now he is declaring that they put their faith in their God and not him, and that is the one who saved them. And second, he makes a decree that if anyone speaks against God, they will be torn limb from limb, as opposed to if you worship another God, you will be thrown into the furnace. Such a roller coaster life of King Nebuchadnezzar, as we see after each chapter. So now that we've identified your Babylon, we've identified your bunny, I want you to know, will you have faith through the fire? What do you believe will happen? If you don't bow down to that idol, if you don't bow down to that bunny, how will God use you in your situation? Just like the king, his eyes were able to see, wow, God got you through this. So who in your life does God want to open their eyes because of your faith through the fire? And what we learn here is striking. Notice it was in the fire and after the fire when the king said these things. Before, when they said, we placed our faith in God, we're not bowing down to you, the king got so mad, but it was literally in the fire is when the king proclaimed this. I love what Ian Duguid says. He says, it is in the furnace where our faith is displayed most clearly. People are watching. Look at the text. It says, everyone came to see what was happening. And that's still true today. People are watching us walk through these fires. People are watching us, and they will be able to see how great of a God we worship. That through tough times, through the struggles, we're not caving, but we are trusting that God will be with us. And when our faith goes through the fire, people will see how great of a God we worship. That only happens if we are in the fire. And John Calvin says that. He says, God saves us in the fire, not from it. And I think this is something we all need to remember, that God will often not bring us around the fire. He will not bring us away from the fire, but he will bring us through the fire. The fire, and if their faith was strong before, think about what their faith was like afterwards, getting through the fire. So I often use sports analogies when I when I preach, and one that comes to my mind right now, kind of talking about getting through the fire and how their faith strengthened, is the 1980 Olympic U.S. hockey team. All right, these were a bunch of underdogs, young guys, and they later on uh, went to beat Soviet Union, one of the top hockey team in the world. During one of their practices, they were doing sprints, constant full rink sprints. I mean, you think how hard running is, doing sprints. Think about putting ice skates and doing that. So this has got to be really, really hard. They're doing full-ring sprints. These guys are exhausted. They are absolutely exhausted. Coach Herb Brooks, again, blows the whistle. Again, blows the whistle. The practice is going. The lights are going out. It's really late. This is going on forever. And these players are exhausted. They're out of breath. And what the king, uh, not the king, sorry, what Coach Herb Brooks they probably viewed him as a king because he was ruthless. Uh, what he said was, all right, I want you to say your name, where you're from, and who you play for. So each player was kind of doing that throughout this practice. You know, I'm Jim Craig from New York. I play for the University of Michigan. And it went on and on each player. And on and on the practice went. Again. Eventually, the other coaches were like, coach, let's stop. This is enough. This is enough. And coach said, again, blow the whistle. It's silent. All you hear, I mean, these guys are throwing up. These guys are dying from these sprints. And how many of you feel like life is like that sometimes? Life is just a constant sprint after a constant sprint. We're exhausted. We're wondering, am I going to be able to make it through this? So it's quiet. You know, the coach is about to say again, and all you hear is this. Michael Ruzioni from Massachusetts. All the eyes are on him. You know, the music and anticipation is, is building. And Coach Herb Brooks says, and who do you play for? And Michael Arruzzioni stands up and says, I play for the United States of America. Chills, like everyone's getting goosebumps. Coach Herb Brooks says, that's all, gentlemen. You can go home. Like, wow, that's all it took. That's all it took. They should have said that after the first sprint. You know, but during their training, this is what they had to learn. This is what they had to learn. And it took the trials, it took the struggles of tough sprints, of a tough practice, for them to realize who they were playing for. And I think we often do that in our lives as well. I think God works through our sprints of life. Because I think oftentimes, like these other players, we're shouting, we're playing for this university, we're playing for this university, we're playing for ourselves And God wants us to forget our allegiances to those schools, to those teams. And he wants us to yell out, I play, I live for you, Jesus. I live for you, God. But it takes struggles. It takes trials to learn that. Notice the players in this hockey team didn't learn that in the locker room. They didn't learn it over lunch. They learned it by probably one of the worst practices they have ever gone through. They learned it through the furnace, through the fire. But typically, we would rather that not be the case. You know, we often pray that God will remove us from tribulations, from difficult experiences, the struggles, because they think they will break us, that we won't last. But oftentimes, it's these situations where we learn, where we grow stronger, where faith is refined. And I think we're really scared of that furnace. We see that furnace, and we're really scared. You know, earlier this morning, probably like 2 or 3 a.m., it's thundering, And I have a little dog named Tucker. He's this really cute white Maltese. And every time it thunders, without fail, he comes running to me and he is, or my wife, and he is shaking, shaking, shaking. He is so scared of the thunder because he thinks it's gonna hurt him. I mean, I'm like, he's like six years old. I'm like, you are six or 42, you know, you're 42. You know, you should know by now that thunder doesn't hurt you. You know, it's like I'm still cleaning up after you. You know, I thought in your 20s you would have moved out and (laughs) learned how to do that by now. This is still going on. I'm like, you're 42, man. But time after time, he comes running to me, shaking. Like he's like, he's so scared of the thunder. And I think we're really scared of the furnace when we see it. But like I remind my dog, it's not going to hurt you. It's not going to hurt you. It literally can do nothing to you. God's doing that with us. We're really scared of the furnace because we see it sometimes. And we're scared. We're shaking. And God's like, it can't hurt you. It can't hurt you. Death can't hurt you. Apostle Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. You can't be hurt from this because I am literally with you through the furnace. And that is what's so great about our God, is he's able to use these circumstances that may appear as a loss, that may appear very scary, that there's no possible way that anything positive can come from this. And he uses them for his glory. He gets us through that. And a great example we see this in is Jesus. I mean, what appeared to be a circumstance that had no hope, no chance, that death could be anything positive. Imagine being in that situation. You see Jesus, who's supposed to save the world, the Messiah, on a cross dying? I'm sure people were praying, God, get him down from this cross. Get him down from this cross. This can't be good. But God uses the cross. He uses the death and resurrection of Jesus to save us. And Jesus was faithful to God throughout every step of his life, and he saved us from the real fiery furnace for eternity. Jesus went through the real furnace for us. And it is through the death and resurrection of Jesus that we are given life. There's no resurrection unless there is a death. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had some amazing faith shown here today, but they were not perfect. Their faith wasn't perfect. They couldn't save themselves. It's not their faith that we should all be amazed by, but it's that in which their faith was placed, and that was God. You know, because we all have faith in something. We all trust something, and we, we believe that object will provide us with something, maybe even to give us life. But at the end of the day, it's not the strength of your faith that saves you, but it's the object in which you place your faith. Worship team, you can come back up. So back to Javier Martinez. He goes back to work. The next morning, sits down, and the boss asks him, Javier, have you decided what you wanted to do? Javier says, yes. He says, I, I, can't, I, can't, take, I, can't, I can't take the job. I can't lie on the reports. It would be dishonoring to myself, to my family, to my God. And the boss looks at him and says, do you understand what this might do to your job here? Javier says yes and hangs his head, probably thinking he's, he's about to get fired right now. He's not going to be able to have any money to provide for his family. And what the boss does next is he stands up, extends his hand, says, Javier, will you shake my hand? I needed someone I could trust. And you showed that to me today. I needed someone with integrity. I needed someone that I knew would not lie to get the job, to get the money. He said, every other person I interviewed said, yes, they would lie on the report, but you're the only one. And Javier believed that honoring God was important. He believed that God would be with him. I'm sure he thought he was going to get fired that day. He believed that God would be with him. And this story could have gone either way. He could have gotten fired. I know many people in here, maybe we've been put in that situation. We have been fired. But either way, the truth of God, being with Javier, does not change. And what we do know is, for both circumstances, God is with us in and out of the furnace. So may what Javier, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's faith point us to someone else's faithfulness, to God who's perfect. May we place our faith in someone who is faithful through it all faithful for going through the fiery furnace for us. May we build our life upon that rock, upon that firm foundation that God does not abandon us because God will not leave us, but he is with us in the fire and that fire will will refine us. So let us look to Jesus.